The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Other Side podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today in studio, we have with us the Reverend Frederick Lamar, who is the pastor of Family Missionary Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us, Pastor. Well, thank you for having me. Some of our listeners may have heard of you before due to a situation that you kind of helped facilitate a meeting that took place earlier this year between a young man who got into an altercation with a Columbus police officer my understanding is you facilitated this meeting between the officer and this young man. I wanted to ask one, how did that come about? And two, what did you intend to happen? I don't know if you're familiar with our movement on the South side. We got a movement on the South side called ministries for movement and the ministries for movement is changing the paradigm, changing the conditions of life for people who live on the South side. We got a 40 mile radius that we focus on. One of the guys that's worked with me by the name of Sean Stevenson, Sean Stevenson came to me, after the event happened where A.J., the police officer, sucker punched Robinson. Mm-hmm. Okay, he came to me. He said, you know, Rob- that be Jonathan Robinson, yeah. the officer's um, officer, Anthony A.J. Johnson. Right. Right. Ahead, I'm sorry. So um, he came to me with the situation. He said, you know, things are about to get heated because some of the boys in the neighborhood are about, to, you know, to go off because of the situation. Mm hmm. So then I said, okay, um, I didn't know where Robinson stayed at the time. So then me and Sean goes over to Robinson's house and I sit over there with Robinson and his brothers and everything. And they tell me the situation. And many of the people who Sean was talking about, by the junk go off, was sitting outside, outside on motorcycles and whatnot. So then after we went in the house and talked to the individuals, we came back outside and we said, okay, listen, there's another way to do this. Let us try to do these things. I know Pastor Mar, Pastor Mar got connections. We can sit down and talk about this thing and we can come to a resolution. Okay. So after that, I told Sean, and then I called Speaks. I this called, is George Speaks? Yeah, George Speaks. Deputy I called. Director of yeah. the city's Department of Public Safety. Yeah. I called Speaks and also called the um, chief. And I said, is there any way that um, AJ can come to the church? Because I want AJ to come to the church and I want to have Robinson and them there at the church because I really want the police to understand culture okay. and I want the community to understand procedure. And I said, I don't want nothing else. Don't want no cameras. I said, because I'm, I'm going to control the narrative. And they gave me a call back and said they can't come. OK, AJ be up, but he can come. And I said, OK, let me get with Robinson. I called Robinson. Look, can y'all be here this day? And got all the time set up, got there and we sat down there. Now, just to back up a second here, if you're not familiar with this, there was body cam footage of this incident. Right. It was a very emotional, tense. You had the police officer who kind of burst into the scene. But Robinson's there, and his partner was there with their child, right? Right. And he felt that they were in some kind of harm's way exactly. because the police were there. There was a lot of yelling. The police were on the scene of reports of gunshots. Mm-hmm. So... There was it was a very tense situation and it escalated quickly with the officer. What many believed was a sucker punch. He came from out of nowhere, kind of. And in and in the span of seconds, you know, clocks Mm -hmm. Robinson and this set off another one of these discussions that pop up every time you see one of these police cam videos where everybody goes, what was that necessary? And it gets into police brutality. And so that all gets laid at your feet. So this is the meeting you're talking about where now you're trying to step in. Right. And the officer, Anthony Johnson, had received some like nationwide notoriety for his being able to relate to the black community. Right. Like he had 
he had there had been some stories and some media attention around him working with youth and young kids and like dancing and yes. things like that where he had had this reputation of going into neighborhoods that police often are accused of not going into to try to establish relationships so there was all this kind of stuff going on that people were trying to make sense of and again once again you're kind of yeah. charged with making sense of it all right right you know and aj i don't know if they called him the dancing cop or whatever they called him but he was he was one that would come into commu- he would he was one that had to be of the community and he would be there with the kids and there's a whole lot of things behind the scenes that he would do you know that people don't know you know just like if somebody needs something you know he'd come out of his pocket so did you know him before this incident i knew him but i didn't know him like you know, like me and him ran together. I got you. I knew him as far as being on the police force. I knew him as far as some of the things that he's done as far as the community and whatnot. Give us a sense of what, so what was what was it like in the room? We had a story about this meeting, and I my understanding based on the story was that you guys avoided going into the details of this particular situation. Right. So I'm just kind of wondering, what was the conversation like? What did they talk about then? Here's what I mean by controlling the narrative. Because, number one, there's all kind of ongoing investigations. Right. And even when I met with Robinson and all of them, you know, in the midst of the attorneys and everything. And then when I called them to come to the church, attorneys gave me a call and they were saying, look, they don't need to be there together. I said, wait a minute, bro. I said, I run this. I said, the church is a place of refuge for everybody. So I said, it's off limits to everyone else. I said, so I run this. So what I want to share, I want to share to the police so they can understand some of the things why Robinson did what he did. And then I want the community, Robinson, family and all the community to understand why the police do what they do. And I said, right or wrong, good or bad or different, there is the essence of coming to an understanding. Because if you don't understand why people do things, then you can't excuse it. You cannot, if you don't understand what they, why they do what they do, then you can't explain it. Right. Okay. And it have to be explained from somebody that you trust. Because if somebody else come and try to explain it, man, I ain't trying to hear you. You know, because we had a summer camp there at the church and we had over 100 some kids and I and I explained to them, you know, I said, okay, do you understand why these things happen? And they was outraged. So I had to sit down and explain to them. I said, sometimes there's some things that the police do. And I said, it's procedure. Do I agree with it all? No, but it's procedure. It's what they are taught. Okay. And by the same token, there's some things that the community does. Because listen, if my wife was going in harm's way, I don't care, come hell or high water, excuse me, who has a gun or whatnot. My job as being the protector of my family is to put myself in harm's way and make sure my family's, you know, taken care of. And that was Mr. Robinson's yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, was trying to protect his family, yeah, he, yeah. he felt. Yeah, yeah. So all the other parts about whether he should have stepped back or whether they shouldn't have hit or whatever, all that stuff, I said, that's for the attorney to deal with. But I said, right now, we got to kill this fire. I said, because my thing is, didn't nobody get carried out of there? Wasn't nobody dead? And I said, I can look across the nation. You can see all kind of articles where somebody got shot in the back, where, you know, things went from bad to worse. So you felt because of that, that this could be a learning experience, that you didn't have the trauma of death. So therefore, maybe you could get people in a room since you didn't have that element and have a conversation. Yeah. You know, you've got to bring them. Number one, my thing was to um, kill the fire. Or not kill the fire, but just to show, okay, well, you know, here's some people on the front end that's addressing it. Because when people feel they're not being heard, that's why you have all this rioting and everything. Because ain't nobody listening. Don't nobody care. But when you find somebody that steps in right then, right then and there and says, no, look, now you tell your side. 
You ain't got to worry about nobody else because what's in here stays in here. Tell your side. Tell why you did what you did. And then on the other side, okay, now you tell why you did what you did. Okay, now when we go out of here, your attorneys can handle the rest. The um, FOP and all the NACP, they, they can handle the rest. But right now, I want us to send a picture that the fact is we're dealing with it. This is how you bring about healing is that when there's a problem, you address it right then and there because you let it simmer, it's going to go into a fire. Did you accomplish what you set out to accomplish? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. My perspective, I, I accomplished what I set out to accomplish. Now, I got backlash from, you know, um, some clergy friends. We ain't supposed to be sitting down with them. I said, listen, I said, number one, I've been doing this march, which our ministry movement march, you know, addressing the crime and the violence for going on 10 years now. And I said, where were you? Where were you when little Johnny gets shot by the police? I said, there's been times when young people running. I said, why do young people run from the police? And I said, they don't run because they did something wrong. They run because that's what their instinct is. And I said, now, do you know where police come from? You got shared, but police come from, police, if you Google it, they were called the, the Negro Slave Patrol. So they would go and round up slaves that were on the loose. So if my mindset is, if I'm going to be rounded up, I'm going to be arrested for something that I didn't do, my first instinct is to run. Now, whether that's going to cause getting shot in the back or whatnot, because when somebody runs, a person would think, so, okay, they run because they're guilty. But I'm not running because I'm guilty. I'm running because everybody else is running. I'm running because I'm taught to run. You know, and when you don't understand that, then it causes a problem. So we have to deal with that problem. So do you believe that in these situations, in officer-involved shootings or officer-involved cases of, of violence or assault, when the officers accused of assaulting someone, do you think most of that is just due to a lack of understanding? Most definitely. Most definitely. I believe it's because, you know, if you don't live where I live, and you don't understand the factors that I deal with. Just like right now, there is City Attorney Klein. There's a new initiative he got now called a diversion program. Diversion program because a person might get caught for theft or whatnot. Right. And so instead of them um, serving time in jail, they may be diverted to a, another program for rehabilitation. Or right, right, right. Along those lines. So, so we're trying to understand why people do what they do. You know, so if I've never been taught that, I've never been taught to the, because Proverbs 630 said, men don't despise the thief if he steals because he's hungry. You know, so if I'm stealing because I'm, I'm doing something because I am in survival mode. See, most people live in success mode because the parents want them to be successful. But if I'm living in a home where my mom is out there on the beat daily trying to survive so we don't get evicted, my dad don't know where he is, I'm in survival mode. Survival mode tells me I have to go out and help my mom provide. Forget about school because school can wait. But right now, I don't want to come home from school and then find our stuff on the corner. You know, so I have to operate in survival mode to help my mom or do what I need to do. So whatever I need to do to survive, that's what I'm going to do. How do you navigate, though, this process? Because I understand this is a very sensitive world that you venture into, especially in the black community. Yeah. And even the black community has its own labels that mm -hmm. will get placed on you. Right. Or thrown around or people put knives in your back mm -hmm. when you venture into these types of 
conversations, this political world, navigating all that. You know the words. You know, we know the words. I'm wondering how you balance that with this mission you have of trying to bring together some understanding because I'm sure you've heard it, especially when you organize meetings where you're sitting down with cops mm-hmm. that have especially been brutal to the black community. You know, how do you navigate that? Well, first of all, you have to. It's going to come. It's going to come. You cannot be sensitive in nature because when well, you got one over here that's telling you, oh, you ain't nothing but a Tom, you ain't nothing but a sellout, you know, whatever the case is, you have to understand, okay, why do I do what I do? I do what I do because God has set us on missions. And the mission is ministries. Ministries is serving. Serving with a plan, a purpose, and practice. So when you when you, when you, your mind is out there to serve, man, listen, I'm not I'm not concerned. I don't want my name up in the lights. I'm not concerned about what people say, but I'm concerned about am I following the plan? So when you understand that you're following the plan, while there may be one here that says that you're wrong, there's going to be two or three on down the road going to say that you're right. So the first thing you got to do, you got to understand relationships. You got to build relationships. And when you build relationships then with people, you have to sit where they sit. And when you sit where they sit, then you understand how they feel. And they know if they can see you on a daily basis and they know your character and whatnot, then your character speaks for itself. Well, when things get rough for you and, and, and you even, I'm sure there are moments where you question yourself mm-hmm. and say, am I making the right, am I taking the right step here? Is there a line or two of scripture? Is there experience you've had in your life that you retreat to where you, where you kind of you know nurture yourself or pick yourself up and say, no, I'm going to keep moving forward on this despite the knives and the words and all the other things? Well, you know, I do that on a daily basis. Daily basis, uh, Psalms 37 reminds me that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So and you have to allow God to order your steps. Before I make decisions, okay, now, I don't try to spend too much time thinking, uh, weighing it out, okay, well, what this side going to say, what it's going to look like here, okay? Well, my thing is, okay, in order to make change, then you've got to be a trailblazer on some things. And a trailblazer being the fact that people know that your heart is right. When they know your heart is right, then you continue to do what you do. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you think, so, okay, well, am I really making a difference? Now, when someone has gotten shot or someone has gotten killed, people rally because people are episodic. They need an episode. They need a reason. But to continually come out to say, okay, we're going to change things a little bit at a time. You may get 100, but um, when somebody get killed, we, get, we have 400 people in March. You know, but they don't, they can't stay with it. And as you see all across the nation, every time, you know, massive shooting, there's protests, but then it dies down. Yeah. You know, so you just got to be sold out to what it is you're doing. And there got to, there got to be that commitment there. And you just got to stay commitment and not look for results because you look for results. Just like you start looking for results. Then if the numbers don't add up, then you feel bad because the numbers didn't add up. But if you can, if you can save one, I said, you know, well, here's one that walked away that didn't get killed. And that's enough encouragement to uh, what you're doing. I wanted to ask you about the role of the black church uh, today. Because historically, the black church has, has been the cornerstone of, of the black community. I mean, exactly. going back hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And you and I were having a conversation off mm-hmm. air about about young people and um, them not not understanding the importance of tithing and right. attending church on a regular basis. And so what is the role of the black church today and how does the church continue to grow when you've got all these other distractions going on that maybe, you know, 50 years ago kids didn't have? There's so much that's coming at people of faith 
and young people, young people in general, because of the fact that we ser- we're, we're serving a generation now that wasn't grown up in church because of the fact whether the parents don't go to church or whatnot, there's a disconnect. So it's the, it's the job of the church, first of all, to reconnect back to the community, reconnect back to the neighborhood. Most of them have moved out of the neighborhood. And um, we just thank God I made up my mind to stay in the neighborhood. And the challenge, the reason why many, many of them move out of the neighborhood, because the city zoning makes it so difficult to grow, mm-hmm. you know. So they have to move out. When they move out, they, there's a sense of disconnect. And then the community feel, well, if you ain't here where I am, then you don't feel my pain. You know, so the job of the church really is to be right there where they are and not just be there when it comes down time to put up a tent and do a tent revival. But you have to be there on a constant basis because I don't need you when you think that I need you. I need you when I do need you. So if, I, if I'm going through something, I need to have somebody I can come to as opposed to, okay, you coming in every now and then and putting up a tent, doing a tent revival, and everyone to come, everyone to get saved at their time because it may be you got to meet me at my points of need as a result of me coming to a revival or something special like that. Did you grow up in Columbus? Yes, sir. So I, you're South so side, you, you, South side your whole I, life. South side, not on my whole life. I was the East Side because I went to East High School, the famous East High School, Columbus East High School. <laughs> okay. And, we're, and, and everybody to see anybody went to Columbus East High School. Oh, wow. By wow, the wow, way, wow. let the record reflect. <laughs> that might be the most outrageous thing. It may be. <laughs> but were you going to church three days a week? Where you, was your whole life in a church? Did you have both your parents growing up? Were they in the church? Like, how, how did this take root in you? Did you tie? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I'm, yes, I did. I, I'm just kidding. Yes, I, I, I tied from when I was 16 years old. I was working two jobs, but I I, working, I was working at Big Bear and also working a CETA program. It was a summer youth program. I was working at Fairwood Elementary School as a janitor during the day, and then I was working at Big Bear as a bagger at night. And while going to high school? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I was working two jobs. This was summertime. Okay. The um, CETA job was a summer job. But oh, Big so you weren't. Now, now, during school, I was working in the evenings, going to school during the day, working in the evenings. Gotcha. So I grew up all my life in. But what about um, church? Like, what? Like, were you all day, every day? Like from the time you you got on <laughs> the says, planet? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and so, when do you make the decision to that this is your calling? This is going to be your life. You just got to have that passion. I grew up all my life in church. I was grew up in a family. I have um, seven brothers and two sisters. My mother kept us in church. Single mother. My dad was alive, but he wasn't around as much. Okay. You know, he would come in and go one or so. Because my dad, you know, he, he'd get out to do his own thing, you know. And then he'd come home sometime or whatnot. But as we grew older, you know, he just separated from us. So our mom raised us all. But she kept us in church. And the fact she kept us in church, you know, something instilled in me from being in church. So it was being around my grandfather, my uncles and all that and seeing what they were doing, but then also seeing the problems that was in the world that gave me that passion. So was your grandfather kind of like your dad? Uh, yes. No. Yes. Okay. So that's where well, you- my uncles was kind of like my dad. My okay. grandfather was he was really too strict. I was scared of him. You were scared of your grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because uh, my grandfather was the type, he was a disciplinarian. Um, His he, way or the highway. And if you're playing in church, you um, do something in church, you know, he calls you, he stops preaching, calls you out in church, so you go in his office until after church, and then you get disciplined after church. So oh, Wait, um, he would stop the sermon and call you out right there? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. If you sit yeah, there he playing, play. he called me Peter. Peter, you and Sam, my office. 
And he go back to preaching. We walk him, go sit in his office. I bet that was the longest walk ever. The longest walk and the longest wait. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone get called out in church. I know. Like, Uh actually stop the service. Yeah. My grandfather, he he was so so much a disciplinarian. My cousin was acting up in church. He stopped. He had a strap that that he kept in the church. And he went and literally disciplined her with her mom. My aunt sitting there disciplined her because... She was acting up. My aunt wasn't doing it to her. My aunt wasn't sending it to her. He told her to sit down. She didn't sit down. She kept playing. He stopped what he was doing, got his strap. When are you talking about spare the rod, spoil the child? He made sure that none of us grew up with spoil. But how does that impact you now? Like, I mean, like, what's the impact on you now thinking back on that? Because when I think back on it, then I think, okay, when I look at society today and I say, what do these children, what's missing out of these children You think they need whipped? Do I think they need whipped? I think they need... I'm going to, the scripture says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Okay. So, yes, I believe when I was in school, when they had to paddle, you was more, there was more discipline. So you like the whip? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. He said very, very quickly, yes. Yes, yes. Because if you tell the child, don't touch that, the more you tell them, they're going to touch it. But it's, when they touch it and they get burned, mm-hmm. then they understand not to touch it. So if you tell somebody... Uh, don't do something, but then if discipline comes with it, they don't want the pain that comes with the SWATs. I act up, we act up in school, we got SWATs, and then everybody in the class hear you out there in the hall crying, getting your SWATs. Did you get swatted in school? Ooh, yes, yes, because they would have you go out there and they'd touch your toes. Yeah, I remember I got swatted. Touch your toes, and you know, they SWAT you, and you, if you try to be a man about it, you don't want to make noise. So everybody in the class, when you go back in the class, they ain't looking at you and you try to man up. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, it was the embarrassment having to go out there and getting SWAT and then the pain behind it. So then you have to come back into this class and all your friends laughing at you. You know, so you know you got tired of that. So, yes, I, I do believe in discipline. Okay. Yeah. But the thing that really the thing that really helped me when I see today and I see all of the factions that's addressing these kids today, I think that's what the kids are missing. The kids are missing that discipline. My mom used to tell me, this going to hurt me more than hurt you. And I never believed that. But now, since I've grown older and I see how it helped me, I see that's something that the children today are missing. Hmm. I want to ask you something on a slightly different subject. So I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with uh, the presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg, you heard of him? No. Okay, he's a mayor in Indiana, and he's basically running for president. Sort of young guy. I think he's in his 30s. He's openly gay. He's a veteran. And the reason why I'm bringing him up is because one of the discussions going on right now in terms of the the Democratic primary is which candidate is going to get the support of the black community. One of the things that Buttigieg is coming up against is even though uh, a lot of his policies would probably positively impact the black community you have a lot of black clergy and church members who are basically saying they wouldn't vote for him no matter what he says or what his policy is because of his sexuality as a leader of a, of a black congregation what would you say to your congregation well here's me personally me personally everybody got a right to be who they are and I'm not going to condemn somebody because that's their preference. Now, me, mine is man, woman, child, husband, wife. But if you say that you're this way, that's you. 
and I'm not going to hold that against you. And if your job is to come and represent all the people, and you can represent all the people, then okay, so who's the best man for the job? The best man for the job is the one that's going to get the job done. You know, if I'm trying to go from square A to square B, there's enough sin in Columbus nationwide. So then we want to pick and choose what's right and what's wrong. Okay, whether you're evangelical or not, we want to pick and choose what's right and what's wrong. Okay, we can go through the whole list, but here is a political candidate and here's the issues that's affecting us, then you've got to choose. You've got to choose, okay. Uh, so if, if we go in to say, okay, well, if the uh, man whose alternative lifestyle is wrong, what about the man who's sleeping around on his wife? You know, is he, though he's even evangelical, is he okay to be in an office? You know, how can you justify that? You know, so we can, we can put the whole laundry list up there about right and wrong, but when you're in the political feel, okay, people are concerned about issues. Everyone has their own belief as far as that, but my thing is, who are the ones that's going to get the job done and then leave it up to them? I'm not going to tell them how to vote, but I'm going to just say, okay, don't judge somebody because of who they are, because who they are is a whole lot different than what you're trying to get done. Now, in your personal life, okay, that's one thing. You don't force your personal life on me saying, okay, now you're going to say, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that. No, that's your personal life. If your personal life going to push an agenda that's going to be contrary, then that's another issue. One of the things that I've always found fascinating, the media especially, expects black pastors to answer for the black community much more than mm-hmm. they ask white you know, leaders of faith, white pastors, uh, priests, whatever. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I wonder how you feel about always having to kind of you always seem to have to answer to somebody. You know, you get called by the media when there's a big uh, racial issue going on. Right. You're getting bombarded by your own congregation, by the black community, by police. And that's not a, a burden that a lot of your white brethren have to take on. Because you don't see, it seems like you either you choose or you get forced into doing this kind of work, whereas white pastors don't. I don't see, you know, a lot of white pastors organizing marches or leading things down the street, even if they have a black, a, a lot of black people in their congregation. But black pastors are somehow expected to have to do this. Well, uh, I would somewhat disagree uh, because you look at the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, it wasn't just black pastors locking arms. It was black and white. Well, wait a second now. Locking arms, fine. That okay. was that was a symbolic gesture. <laughs> I'm talking about the real work. I'm talking about the about in the guts of it. Well, I still would somewhat disagree. Okay. Because I know and I've got white brethren here in the city that's locking arms and doing the real work. Are they locking arms with you behind the scenes or are they doing it for cameras? Be locking on. Be the cameras ain't always there. I understand the cameras ain't I always mean, there. When you when you need them and there's no photo op and there's no yes, there's I can, there's I can no self promotion. Yeah, I can give you a whole list and I okay. won't put the name, but I can give you a whole list of those who will. And just like right now, we're dealing with this new police chief. We're dealing with the police brutality. Just like I said to you about the text I got. You know, there's a there's a list of clergy and even the Matrix people who met with us. They say, you know what? This is an ideal time. The Matrix people are the people the city has hired to study yeah. what's going on with police brutality and demographics and right. 
discrimination right. within the division. Right. And he said, this is an ideal time. And I said, you know why? He, and I told the rest of the players, you know why he's saying it's an ideal? Because look around the table. It ain't just black. It's black and white sitting at the table. Right. Hold, but, but where I'm coming from, maybe I didn't point. Like, I, I have these conversations with leaders in NAACP, with other black pastors, with, with just black friends. And they say, well, hold on. If a member of your congregation was involved in some kind of violence. Right. We, the media may call you and okay. ask you questions and in some way make you have to answer for some kind of, you know, for something that someone in your congregation did. Mm-hmm. But let's say, let's put it on the, in a white officer, like a police officer. Like the media doesn't track down what church that officer goes to yeah. and call that that pastor or that priest and ask. Yeah, but I think because I have... Um, I'm like boots on the ground. They see me. They know my passion is into helping my community. I'm, I'm connected to my community. But every church ain't connected to the community. You know, you don't see every church being called upon. The, the black church has always been the nucleus of the black community. We don't have country clubs. We don't have other organizations that we can go to. The best other organizations that the in the black church, the black community have is the fraternities you know, and sororities. Okay, but, you know, they're for those who end school and whatnot. But for the most part, the voice of the black community is the black church. So because we're the voice, people are going to come to us with problems. And we've got to be able to direct them with the word of God to how to deal with those problems. So then when they come to us with situations that they can't deal with, then we've got to advocate for them to help them better deal with it. We just want to thank you, Pastor Lamar, for coming in and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. We really appreciate it. We also want to thank all our listeners and um, remind them to please check out our Facebook page at Facebook slash group slash other side podcast. Or you can always hit us up on our Twitter account at other side underscore pod and please don't forget to review us leave us a review um you can review us on itunes and we always look forward to your feedback try to see things from the other side thanks thanks